0: The subject today is the lost beatitude, the lost beatitude. And you may turn in your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 20, if you will, this morning for a few moments, Acts chapter 20. But before I read the text, I want to tell you the background so that you will understand what the text is speaking about. And uh, it's very important that you get the context on this passage. The Apostle Paul had been arrested and was being taken to Rome. The reason he had been arrested is because there had been people who had stirred up and actually held riots to protest his preaching and teaching. Isn't that interesting? Back then, a preacher could preach, and they would, he would start a riot. It's always kind of been one of my dreams, and I get the people so stirred up that we just have a big fight somewhere, you know, that people would really get into it. But I haven't seen that yet. I see them sleeping more than I do fighting when I preach. But at any rate, Paul had stirred up these people and the opposition came and there had been this big riot that had gotten out of control and they arrested Paul because they wanted to stop Christianity, sort of like America today. And so Paul is now on his way to Rome where he has appealed his sentence and he is going to stand before Caesar and appeal his case. The ship stopped for supplies at a place called Miletus. And Miletus was only about 15 or 20 miles from Ephesus. And Ephesus was a city where Paul had gone And he had planted a church there and spent quite a lot of time there, turned that church over to young Timothy, and uh, Paul had gone on to other places. But he had trained the pastors, called elders here, of several churches in that area. There were a number of those churches nearby that we read about in the Scripture. And so when the elders of those churches heard that Paul was in the vicinity And on the ship out here anchored at Miletus at the nearby harbor, they all came out to see him. And it's a very poignant, emotional time because they know that there's a real possibility they will never see the Apostle Paul again in this life. He's going to Rome. He might even be executed, and he was ultimately. And so they gather around him and Beginning down in, verse, in chapter 20, Paul begins to tell them, he gives them counsel. He gives them advice as young preachers that he wants them to know. Now today, for the sake of time, I'm going to be, begin the reading in verse 32. Just imagine a ship in the background, an ancient ship. Paul, the apostle, a man about 62, 63 years old and they are sitting here kneeling down on the beach of the Mediterranean ocean and he gathers these young preachers elders around him and he begins to instruct them and now he's at the end of his instruction stand please as we read from verse 32 through the end of the chapter with that background in mind acts 20 and 32 and now brethren i command you to god commend you to god and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all of them that are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel, clothing. Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. And I have showed you all things, how that laboring you ought to support the weak And remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Repeat that with me. The words of our Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. One more time. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down. He prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words that he spake that they should see his face no more. And then they accompanied him into the ship. And you may be seated. Now, my text this morning, I read to you the background here, but the text is in verse number 35 at the end of it. You may want to to underscore it in your Bible. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You can see that it is a beatitude because he talks about blessed. Blessed are the people who do thus and so. Now, this month, our theme has been the blessed life, the blessed life. And all, mu- all month I've taught and preached on that is such an important term. The word "bless," blessing, blessed appears just under 500 times in the Bible, about 496 times. What does it mean to bless somebody or something? Well, we do it in two ways. There are two ways that I can be a blessing to you or you to me or to others. First of all, the word bless in the Bible often means to speak well of or to speak good words about somebody. So my little child comes up to me and I say to him to encourage him and to show my affection for him. I put my hand on my little boy or my little girl's head And I say to them, you're a good boy. I'm really proud of you. See, that's a blessing. I am speaking good words to that child. I am speaking words over him that lets him know I think well of him, that I love him. So we bless people by our words. I hope you will be blessed when you leave here today. I'd like for you to get in the car out there on the parking lot and say, boy, that was a blessing today. That I spoke good words, words that encourage and inspire and ennoble and lift your spirits, lifts you spiritually today. Now, another way we use the word bless is when we give something to someone. And it really can be giving of anything. And so I can bless you by giving you money, I can bless you by giving you my time. I can bless you by helping you with something, some activity. I can bless you by praying for you, to give prayer for you. There's so many different ways that we can bless people when you begin to think about it. But basically, it boils down to those two things. I speak encouraging, uplifting, good words. That's a blessing. And then I give you something, and it may be material or it may be spiritual, it may be emotional. When the baseball team or the football team, when the football team scores a touchdown and they high five each other, that's a form of blessing. It's an encouragement. It's we're in this together and we're lifting each other up. Now, what does it mean then to be blessed? To be blessed. It means to experience the power of God in our lives. And so when we say, I am blessed, we sing that. And I think we were a little shorter on time for the music this morning. I saw that Jim cut it out, but we've been singing, I am blessed. And I am blessed has the idea of we are experiencing God, the reality of God, the power of God upon our lives and upon our families. It, it means to live in a state of being, of having God's approval. Now, however, for three weeks, I've been preaching that. That's a rehash of the last three weeks. Today, I want to take a little bit of a turn, and I want to make a stewardship application because, as you know, we are talking about stewardship today here in our church. We told you that. By stewardship, I mean the idea of how we use our resources, the proper management. I'll give you a definition of stewardship if you may want to write it down Stewardship is the proper management of my resources for the glory of God. The proper management of my resources for the glory of God. And so it involves my money. What are my responsibilities to the Lord through my money? It involves my time. After all, every moment that I live is a gift of God. And... It involves my talents, my abilities, my education, my experience, all that I am of sharing that and giving that to the Lord in the way that he would approve. Now, stewardship is based upon two simple principles. I call these always the stewardship nutshell because it just puts stewardship in one little cogent type nutshell, if you will. And it's, it's the briefest, simplest way that I know how to teach stewardship. And stewardship depends on two principles. Number one is God's ownership. I believe, because I believe every word of the Bible to be true, I believe that Almighty God owns everything in this universe, that nothing is mine, that I am simply allowed to use whatever resources I have as long as I'm on the earth, but that it really belongs to Him. And why would I say everything belongs to Him? Well, I say it because, first of all, the Bible says it. Psalm 24 and 1 says that the earth is the Lord's and all everything in it and all they that dwell in it. The earth belongs to the Lord. Well, sure it does. He created it. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. My soul, if he created it, doesn't it belong to him? If I make something or create something, it belongs to me. And so it's common horse sense. It is common sense. It is logic. If God created everything, then he owns everything. And so God owns everything. Now, I am his steward as one of his children. And a steward is not an owner, a steward is a person who is an agent who takes care of the affairs of someone else. Ryan Caudle is our church administrator here. Ryan doesn't own the Florence Baptist Temple, but Ryan looks out for the affairs of the Florence Baptist Temple. He takes care of our money. He oversees our property. He helps administer all the resources of the church. He is a steward of the Florence Baptist Temple. And each of us that live on this earth, this earth is not ours, and the time that I have belongs to God. The money that I have belongs to God. The abilities and talents and and, and experience that I have, it all belongs to God. And we've got to come back and say that every year or we tend to forget that and we begin to think, hey, no, this is mine, this is my life, this is my money, this is my stuff that I'm in charge of. And the Bible says, no, God owns it all and he lets me use it and manage it for him for a while. Now, I come to this text, Acts chapter number 20, And verse number 35, just the last little phrase there. And the text says, it is more blessed, there's my word, blessed, to give than it is to receive. Notice what Paul said just before that, though, in verse 35. Look at your Bible. He says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the words. You know what he was doing? He was getting them to think back to about 20 or 25 years ago. Because when Paul said this, Jesus Christ had gone away about 20 or 25 years previously. And some of the people there had heard Jesus actually teach. They had seen and met Jesus Christ in the flesh. And so Paul said, I want you to remember what you heard him say. Now you can look as hard as you wish, but you will not find these words recorded in the four gospels where Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's not in the four gospels. It's part of what we call the oral tradition, meaning there were people there who heard Jesus say things that uh, the gospel writers didn't write down, but it doesn't mean Jesus didn't say them. In fact, Jesus said so much and did so much. I want you to take your Bible and turn backward with me to the book of John, just the next book to the left, if you will, in your Bible. And I want to read to you two or three verses because I think we forget this, that everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did is not recorded in the Bible. The Bible is not an account of everything that God has done or that Jesus Christ has done. It's an account of what he wants you to know specifically. And so in the book of John chapter 20, look with me there and read in verse number 30, John 20 and 30, many other signs or miracles truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So Jesus did all kinds of things that are not recorded in the Bible. He said all kinds of things that the Bible doesn't record. Go to chapter 21 and go with me, if you will, in uh, uh, John 20, 21, and let's go to verse 25. There are also many other things which Jesus did, which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose even the world itself would not contain the books that should be written, Amen. So be it, he says. Now, the point is that the Bible is not a record of everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did. The Bible is a record of what God wants you to know and me to know about what God, what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And so Paul, no doubt, had heard some of those Christians say, you know what? Uh, We want, uh, some of the people here remember when Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Notice a couple of words in that text for me while you have your Bible. Turn to Acts and go back to our text to chapter 20, verse 35. I want you to notice again the word blessed. It is more blessed. I told you last week the nearest equivalent to that word translated into English is happy. So he said Happy uh, people are happier who give than who receive. Another word would be people have more satisfaction, that would be involved in the definition of that word. People are more satisfied who give than those who receive, or you people have more peace who give than those who just receive. Blessed. People experience God's power in their lives and are more blessed when they give than when they receive. You see, that's an application to really all of life. Notice another word here, and the word is give. That's an inclusive term. As I've already said, it means giving anything, giving time, giving money, giving your heart, giving yourself to something. It is more blessed. You're going to be happier and more satisfied and have more peace in your life when you give than when you receive. Man, that's pretty astounding, isn't it? I mean, do you believe that? Well, you know, I read that in my Bible because I've been thinking about this text for a couple weeks working on the message. And you know, I read that text and I thought, can this really be true? Is it really true that it's more blessed to give than to receive? Because see, I don't know how you're wired, but I like to receive. I like to receive, don't you? Anybody here not like to receive? I promise you there's not. I love to receive and I might as well make an announcement about it. If anybody here has anything to give, I'm a candidate. Come on, bring her up here, buddy. Right? Right? I like to receive, so then I said, "Was this really true? That it is more blessed to give than to receive?" If I went out here into the world, I'll bet you, and I had a vote on that with the crowd at the inauguration the other day. How many of you people would rather get something or give something? I can tell you how that vote would go. It's human nature that we we think of ourselves. We want to receive, don't we? Notice what else Jesus did not say. I emphasize not. He did not say in that text. He didn't say there's no blessing in receiving. No, we all are blessed when we receive. We like to get our Christmas gift or whatever. He just said there's more blessing in giving than there is in receiving. And so I'm thinking, is this really true? Because my head believes every word of the Bible. But my heart doesn't always warm up to it. Are you like that? Come on, let me break those halos here. <laughs> Some oh, I would never say that. Well, I said it, and it's true for almost every one of us. Sometimes we read things in the Bible, and our head tells us they're right because Jesus said it, and Jesus never said anything wasn't right. You can count on that. His word is inerrant, right? But my heart doesn't warm up to it. I'd rather receive than I would give sometimes. So I look then through my Bible, and many of Jesus' sayings are contrary to human nature. They're absolutely the opposite of what people think and what people feel. So then I began to go through my Bible, and you know what I find out? The truth of this text. The truth of what I'm preaching this morning is seen all the way through the scripture. You all are probably familiar with the account of the little boy who his mother packed him a little lunch because he was going to go see Jesus and hear Jesus teach beside the Sea of Galilee. And the mother pulled two fish out of the cupboard and gave him five little, the Bible calls them loaves, really they're like little biscuits or rolls. And the mama gives the little boys lunch and packed it. I want you to go hear Jesus. Oh this man's wonderful You go get as close as you can to the front Don't you move You listen to every man Every word this prophet says And a little boy Plants himself right there on the front row He was not A Baptist (laughs) Because they don't sit on the front row Very much So the little boy goes and he sits there and he looks up at Jesus wistfully with wide eyes listening to him. And then Jesus turns to one of his disciples and he's close enough he can hear him. And Jesus said, those people are getting real hungry. They've been with me all day. They need to be fed. There's no place around here for them to eat. And the little boy, like a little boy with a child's faith, overhears the disciples talking And he says, will y'all get me to one of those disciples? And he goes up to Philip, the Bible says. He said, Philip, I, I know this won't feed everybody, but here's my little lunch. Five little biscuits and two fishes, my mama, I'll give them. And Jesus took them and broke them and blessed them. Don't miss that word. He blessed them. And God supernaturally multiplied that. Hey, I believe that story, by the way, literally happened. I'm not spiritualizing that. He took those biscuits and he took those fish and he dispersed them to the multitude and they fed 5,000 men, not counting all the women and children. The disciples took up the remnants that remained and there was still 12 baskets full at the end of it. Now, here's the point. Let's fast forward 20, 30 years. And I go visit somebody who was there that day, and they received. They ate with Jesus that day. But I go over here to the home of an old man now, and he said, I'm the little boy who gave my lunch to Jesus that day. Oh, what a blessing that was. My, I couldn't believe it. He took that lunch, and he multiplied that lunch, and that vast multitude, there were people everywhere as far as I could see, and he fed every one of them. You know what? I'm a man now of 60 years of age, but I've never gotten over the fact. I've been blessed every day of my life because I gave him my lunch. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now see that principle all through the Bible. Young man came up to Jesus one day, Matthew 19. We call him the rich young ruler, which means he had it all. He was rich. He was young. He was a ruler, a lawyer. He had position, status, youth, money. He had it all. He said, Jesus, I want to know what do you have to do to go to heaven to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, let's see, let's start off like this. Take everything you have, sell it, give it away, and come and follow me. And the Bible says, he went away sorrowful. Did Jesus really mean that to follow him, to be a Christian, you have to impoverish yourself and give everything you have away to somebody else? You have to give away your house, your car, your clothes, your money, your retirement. Did he mean that? No, he didn't mean that. He never asked that anywhere else. But I'll tell you what he did mean. He meant that you've got to be willing to do that. He That was a test of this young man's values. It was a test of what he really believed in deeply in his heart. And the Lord didn't expect him to impoverish himself, no. But the Lord did expect him to put first in his heart and in his life the work of God, the kingdom of God, the spiritual world. Because the Bible says so clearly, so clearly, that our soul is worth more than all the world. And that if you lose your soul, it wouldn't matter if you had gained the whole world. And so the Lord Jesus Christ that day tested that young man, and he failed the test. He went away sorrowful. And the reason he was sorrowful is because his values were on things of this earth and this world and possessions and money rather than on that which lasts eternally. But the best illustration of all is the Lord himself. Will you go with me to 2 Corinthians in your Bible, please? And this is a verse that last Sunday night I touched on it, but I want you to look at it again. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and just one verse, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. What a profound passage. Oh, listen, hear me on this. Paul wrote, For you know the grace... Of our Lord Jesus Christ That though he was rich Yet for your sakes he became poor That you through his poverty Should become rich It starts off telling me That Christ was rich When was he rich Not during his earthly life. He was rich before he came to the earth. Remember that Jesus Christ did not begin in the manger of Bethlehem. Jesus Christ was Almighty God. And through the miracle of the virgin birth, God came to the earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and was born in a stable where he had lived in the ivory palaces of heaven. There the angels were at his beck and call. The riches of creation were his. If he wanted something, he didn't even need to ask for it. He could speak it into existence. Talk about riches. And he condescended to become a man, a human being, to be born in a manger, to be born in a filthy cattle stall, the one who spoke the world into existence now is a little baby cradled in his mother's arms in a barn you talk about going far for those that you love and care about and there the lord jesus christ became poor he was he who was rich became poor for our sakes and why did he do that listen to me today folks this is christianity 101 He did that because he saw that we were sinners. He saw that we had fallen, that we were enslaved to our own lust, that we were enslaved to all types of sins, and that the only way we could ever go to heaven and be with him and have eternal life, the only possibility that, somebody would have to come and rescue us from ourselves, and so he did. He came to the earth, and he was born in that cattle stall, lived 33 years, did all those miracles and wonderful things, spoke the most wonderful truth any man has ever spoke, and then went to the cross. Have you ever thought about how poor he was when he he was in that trial? They stripped him naked. And they beat him, and the only thing he really had on him was a crown of thorns. It was a punishment. And the Lord Jesus Christ hung there naked, humiliated. They spit in his face. They they beat him with whips. They cursed him. They reviled him. They nailed him to a cross. And he hung there for six lonely hours to pay for your sin. Nobody ever loved you that much. Your mama don't love you that much. Your father doesn't love you that much. Your wife or husband can't. We can't comprehend that kind of love that Jesus Christ brought to us. And when he died, he died naked. He died without anything to cover him. They wrapped him in those clothes and put those ointments upon him. And they took him out to bury him. My Lord, they buried him in a borrowed tomb. He couldn't even have his own tomb. Talk about poor. He who was rich became poor that you and me, through his poverty, we might be rich. And if you're a child of the king today, if you've been saved, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're rich. You know, nobody knows it, but I'm one of the richest men in Florence. I'm one of the richest men in Florence. I have salvation by grace through faith. I did not deserve it, and I will always have it because it's a gift of God. It's not based on how good I live. I have eternal life. I have a home in heaven that the Lord is preparing for me. I have the riches of his grace. I am blessed because he gave. Oh, did he give. He is the gift that keeps on giving, I'll tell you that. And all these spiritual riches that I have that the world doesn't value much today, but we who know him and love him, we value them. Now, quickly, let's talk then about the blessings of giving. And so one of our men was asked, did you have a good week in the foyer the other day? And he said, oh, I had a wonderful week. What'd you do this week? He said, on Monday, I visited a church in Manila in the Philippine Islands where a young man named Mark Buxton from Florence, South Carolina, went out and started that church. And now hundreds of Philippine people are gathering there and worshiping the Lord each week. And on Tuesday, I was in Russia and I met a man named Buddy Thigpen who is rejoicing because he has a brand new building where he houses all these orphan young men and helps them get into a normal life. On Wednesday, I was at a youth camp in Australia with Dwayne and Valerie Keith and I saw all these young people, 60-some young people that they took to camp last week. And on Thursday, I was standing in a warehouse in Chattanooga, Tennessee, stacked full of wonderful Bible study materials that are translated into all kinds of languages that will be dispersed to Christians around the world at th- from, uh, through the leadership ministry, worldwide ministry. And on Friday, I went to China, and there were three families That told me they were from Florence, South Carolina and the Baptist Temple, and they're working with dear Chinese people trying to show them how they can know that they'll go to heaven. And on the weekend, I got back, and guess what? I went out to the FBT Sports Complex, and while I was standing out there, I was looking at 275 children who were playing soccer and football and cheerleading and all those kinds of things and then on Sunday I turned on my television and I watched on three stations as they showed that service all over southern North Carolina and eastern South Carolina and then I went to church I had a wonderful week his friend said you're crazy you can't do all that in one week He said yes I can Last Sunday I put my tithe and my offering In the offering plate at the Florence Baptist Temple And it went all the way around the world And it touched thousands of people In all these different places In all these different ways How do you question Answered in your heart How do you write down in dollars and in cents what God does with our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our time, our money, when we really give it to him. How do you ever understand the value of one soul that Christ's blood purchased and that he saved because somebody heard the gospel somewhere through your giving? There's an old story. I've told it. A man, or they had a church, a little country church had a big revival. They brought in an evangelist, and the evangelist preached preached his heart out. But boy, the people weren't receptive that week. Their hearts were kind of hard. At the end of the week, they looked, and there was only one profession of faith. One little nine-year-old boy had come forward to receive Christ all week long. And they were in the back room. The deacons were counting the love offering they'd taken up for the evangelist and they weren't very happy because they were going to give him quite a lot of money had come in. They were going to give him a sizable love offering, but they were disappointed. They thought a lot of people would come and big attendance and lots of decisions. It just hadn't happened. One of the deacons said, I just, what uh, a What a waste. We've taken up all this money and spent all this time this week and just one little boy. And they were kind of going back and forth real negatively. And a man stepped up and he said, gentlemen, I'm prepared to write a check to the church for the full amount of that love offering. That little boy was my son. How do you put a dollar value on a soul. You can't. And so when the Lord challenges us, He says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, I read it that, as I told you, and I said, Is this really true? And then I conclude Ah, Lord, just as always, you're right. <laughs> Your word never fails. It's always true. Every single syllable of it. And you were right again this time. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You can carve your name high over the shifting sand where the steadfast rocks defy decay. But all you can hold in your cold, dead hand Will be what you have given away It is more blessed to give Than to receive Standing please with me if you will With your heads bowed and your eyes closed